Hey guys, my name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Church, and I want to welcome you to our online teachings. One of our core convictions as a church is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. Now, I know that for some of us, coming into a church building might be intimidating, it might be scary, and I get that. But I want you to know that there is always a place for you here at New Life and that you were made for real in-person community. We meet on Sundays in downtown Wayland. You can check out our website for more information on service times. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through his word. Love you guys. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's so good to be back here with you guys again. Um, I got to tell you, uh, whether you're watching here online or, or whether you're here in, the per, in person, I love coming to New Life. I get excited every time I get to come here because every time I come here, something is different. Like seriously, every time I come here, you guys have taken like another faith step and take, done something else. And so I'm just blown away. This morning I got the chance, um, I've seen pictures of it like online and everything, but actually to walk with the staff and a couple of the volunteers through this space over here. So it's just incredible what you guys uh, have done. And, and I have no doubt um, that you guys are poised in this next season coming out of the last year and everything we've been through. You are poised to make an incredible impact on our community. Um, so with Brad and Sam, this is staff, we'd be with you. I'm excited every time I get to come here. And so today I get to start a new series with you guys called Raising the Perfect Parent. And so I thought maybe the best way uh, to start this series off is to introduce you to my family. And so uh, there on the screen, that is uh, my family, the Bloom family. So that's my wife, Carrie, there beside me. And then to my left in the picture, your right, is our youngest son, John, and then our second son, Andrew. And then uh, to Carrie's right, your left, I guess it would be, is our oldest son, Alan, and our third son, Aaron. And so uh, what I want you to know as we start this series is that my parenting journey, our parenting journey, Carrie and I, has been far from perfect. Um, when our third son, Aaron, the one on, on the far uh, side there, when he was two years old, we found out he had autism. And for a family where you have multiple kids already, when you, when you find out one of your children has special needs, it's like you have to become a parent all over again. It's like you learn a whole new way of becoming a parent. Some of you are shaking your head, so maybe you've been through that experience. And some of the parent guilt that I carry, very honestly, is that I feel like there was a season in our lives as parents where our other three boys kind of got left behind. We're, because we were so focused on Aaron and, and on his needs and what he needed that uh, our other three kind of got left behind. Another truth of our family is that uh, my boys are pastor's kids. Some of you grew up with pastor's kids and you understand what that means. Uh, I'm not a pastor's kid, so I honestly, I have never been able to really relate to what they've gone through. My, my parents are not in ministry. I'm a first generation pastor. And so uh, oftentimes I didn't understand the pressures they experienced. Um, when our oldest son, Alan, was about 11 years old, he informed Carrie and I that he was no longer, he didn't, he no longer wanted to sit in the front row with his mother at church. And, you know, I assumed immediately it was because he wanted to sit in the back row and goof off or whatever. And so I was like, no, you're sitting in the front row. And I got really ticked off about it. And I, I basically forced him to sit in the front row because I didn't understand what was actually happening uh, Andrew or Aaron, or, <laughs> Alan, my oldest, that's what, that, there's uh, some parenting advice. Number one, don't name your kids all with the same letter. Uh, that's a bad idea. Alan uh, finally explained to us what was really going on there. He's more shy and more introverted. And what he told us was, uh, dad, when I'm in the front row there, I just feel like I can feel everybody's eyes on the back of my head. I can just feel everybody looking at me. 
So he was just feeling so much pressure in that moment, and I just didn't understand it. Now, I, I tell you that just to say to you, uh, the series title is Raising the Perfect Parent, but we, we made that series title kind of tongue-in-cheek because the truth of the matter is there is no such thing as a perfect parent. Yes, and, and, if, and if there was such a thing as a perfect parent, it's not me, and so I don't deserve to be giving that message. The, the truth of the matter is, we, really, we don't raise our kids. What happens is God uses our kids to raise us as parents. That's really what it, what it is. And so this is all about how God uses our families, uses our, our, our kids and, and our homes to actually raise us up and grow us up to spiritual maturity. And what's interesting is if you have multiple children, what you learn very quickly is that you, you sort of loosen up as you parent. Like your standards kind of drift over a period of time when you, when you parent. So for instance, go back to that picture if you would. Um, my oldest son, Alan, when he was uh, a newborn, if the pacifier would fall out of his mouth, what we would do is we would run over to the sink and we would boil water and we would put the pacifier in the boiled water. You know what I'm talking about? Because they told us that's what you're supposed to do. Our second son, Andrew, whenever the pacifier would fall out of his mouth as an infant, we would just like run it under some warm water and just put it back in his mouth. Uh, our youngest son, John, there, when, by the time he came along, our fourth son, when the pacifier would fall out of his mouth, we just let the dog lick it, and then we just plop it back in his mouth and call it good. You know what I mean? Like, your standards just kind of drift over time with parenting. And so uh, w the problem we have to solve today as we, as we begin the series is that's not the only drift that happens in our lives as parents. And so I would tell you the biggest problem, if you want to go ahead to that next slide, the biggest problem that we face with marriage and with parenting is that we tend to drift toward idolatry. And I realize that's a bold statement, but, but stay with me. The biggest problem I believe with marriage and parenting is that we have this tendency, we drift toward idolatry. What I mean by that is we tend to drift toward making an idol out of our kids in our world today. Um, that's the pressure, that's the direction of everything in our society is to make an idol out of our kids or to make an idol out of some, the world's vision of success for our kids and what they should be and, and to try to make sure our kids become that or maybe some vision of success of what we should be as parents. And let me give you an example of this. And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I'm not sure that's true, that we, we tend to drift toward idolatry, making an idol out of our kids. But, but we, we've all seen this in our world. This is an example that I bet you every single person in the room is going to remember. Two years ago in 2019, one of the biggest news cycles that happened was the college admissions scandal. Do you remember this? So uh, if you, if you, maybe if you don't remember, if you're watching online or whatever, you're not sure what I'm talking about, dozens of very wealthy parents, many of them famous, um, basically were busted because what they were doing is they were offering bribes to get their kids into notable universities. And so there was this big, you know, crackdown and all these people were uh, arrested for this, for doing this. So this is Felicity Huffman. She's an actress. Some of you may recognize her from different things she's been in. She was one of several like pretty famous, pretty wealthy people that had been caught doing this. I think she had made a bribe so that her daughter could get into USC, if I remember right, I think was, was uh, the one. On the day of her sentencing, so literally she, she actually did time for what she did. Um, I've got a, just a little section of the note that she wrote to the judge on the day of her sentencing. I'm just going to read you a little bit of it. And I want you to hear, she, on, this, on this day she was sentenced, she wrote this note to try to explain, here's why I did what I did. 
Here's what was going through my head. Here was the justification. And this is part of what she wrote. She said, in my desperation to be a good mother, I talked myself into believing that all I was doing was giving my daughter a fair shot. I see the irony of that statement now because what I have done is the opposite of fair. As warped as it sounds now, listen to this, I honestly began to feel that maybe I would be a bad mother if I didn't do what Mr. Singer was suggesting, which was offering the bribe money. Now, I bet nobody in this room or anybody watching online either, I bet you nobody listening to me right now has ever offered some humongous bribe to secure your kid's future. I bet nobody has done that. But I bet you... Lots of us in this room have had a thought go through our head where I must be a bad mother if fill in the blank. I must be a bad mother if my kid doesn't have that electronic device like everybody else. I must be a bad mother if my kid doesn't succeed in that sport or get into that club. I must be a bad mother if my kid doesn't have the same vacation or the same birthday presents as other kids I must be a bad parent. Or, or maybe the thought that's run through your head is, I, I love my kids so much. I, if this happens to my kid, if this bad experience happens, if they get rejected in this way, I just won't be able to take it. I won't be able to handle it. If you've ever had those kind of thoughts run through your head, you have felt the pull of the idolatry drift. You felt that pull of, of what it means to to actually be pulled to have our kids become an idol of us. So what we're doing in this series, I just want to give you kind of a picture of where we're headed for the next few weeks, uh, is we're talking, just like there are different kinds of kids, there are also different kinds of parents when it comes to this idolatry drift. And so um, go ahead and put that up there on the screen if you would. So the next few weeks, what we're going to be talking about is these different kinds of parents. Um, and so next week, we're going to begin, we're going to talk about the lawnmower parent. And so the lawnmower parent is the parent that mows down every obstacle in their child's path to ensure that they have this certain kind of life and they, they succeed in these certain ways. And this is all part of this sort of idolatry drift that we talk about. Uh, the next week, we're going to talk about the dry cleaner parent. This is the parent who hires the best professionals to drop their kids off at, just like we drop our kids, our dry cleaning or our computer or whatever it is off to get fixed to the counselor, to the teacher, to the youth pastor, and they'll fix it so that we don't have to really engage spiritually. The, the next week, we're going to talk about the best friend parent, or, or I like to call it the Lorelai Gilmore parent, if you're familiar with that show. <laughs> this is the parent that's like, I, I will do anything to be a best friend to my kid. I just want to be a friend of my child rather than really step into that role as a parent. And then the last one, probably the one that I personally relate to the most, um, we're going to talk about the, the volcano parent. And the volcano parent is the parent who's dealing with their own kind of unprocessed wounds from their own childhood and their own issues, and they blow up at their kids, oftentimes without their kids even realizing what it's really about. And in each one of these situations, we're going to talk about these different parents. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, how this sort of plays itself out. But the root problem that we're dealing with here in this idolatry drift has to be resolved first before we can work on it. And so the question, if you can just go to that next one, the question then is, how do you keep the idolatry drift from happening? 
That's what we're talking about today in this kind of intro series. Before we can even get into all that, how do you actually deal with that idolatry drift in your family, in your life? How do you keep it from happening? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. And so um, if I could set the stage for you a little bit, Colossians chapter 3, Paul, uh, who wrote most of the New Testament, is writing to the church in Colossae. And what Paul does is, is astounding. If you read the first two chapters of Colossians, there's hardly any commands in it at all. The first two chapters of Colossians are just Paul telling you, here's who you are in Christ. Because of Jesus, because of what he, he's done, he says you've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God. And he talks about you're a child of God. He, this is who you are. This is who God's made you to be. When you put your faith and your trust in Christ, this is who you are. And then starting in chapter three, Paul makes this shift and he begins to talk about, now here's how you should live. He he talks about, here's who you are in Christ. And then in chapter three, he begins to say, because of that, here's how you should live as a follower of Jesus. And so that's where we're going to pick it up. This is Colossians chapter three. This is Paul as he begins to shift. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, this church should love that verse, by the way. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Now, what's Paul trying to say there? Well, what Paul is trying to get across there is he's trying to say your true identity, in fact, the only identity that you can really build a life on is who you are in Christ. That's why he says there in verse four, Christ, who is your life, your real life? He says your identity, who you really are in Christ is your true identity. And it's the only identity you can build a life on because it's the only identity that cannot be taken from you. Okay, in other words, your job cannot be your identity. Uh, your spouse cannot be your identity. If you're, if you're a single person, you're thinking to yourself, oh man, I, everything in my life is going to get fixed when I can just find the one. Nope. Your spouse can't be your identity. And for our purposes today in this series that we're talking about, your kids cannot be your identity. Maybe you're struggling with infertility and, you, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, if we could just have kids, that'll, that'll fix everything. You're, and maybe you have kids and you've thought, if I can just help my kids and just love them and make them successful and if they do great in life, that'll fix everything. Your kids can't be your identity. And so the only solution really to the idolatry drift is for Jesus to be our savior and in our families, for Jesus to be the center of our family. For him to be the foundation of our family, that that everything is centered around. Otherwise, if that's not the case, then our parenting is basically just a selfish venture. We, We love our kids, but we love them because of what it means about us, because it's actually propping up our identity. And everything that we do for them, everything that we try to do for them is not really for their best interest, but in a way it's sort of to help serve us. And therefore our motives get tainted. And so the only real way to correct that identity or that, uh, that idolatry drift in our families is to have Jesus at the center of our families. So Paul starts there. And then from there, what he begins to do, it's brilliant. If you understand what Paul's doing in chapter three, he begins to 
go right after the Roman household of the time. And he just begins to kind of pick apart the Roman household. And he begins to say the way that the Roman household is structured doesn't work. And he begins to point out and just say a family has to be structured around the person of Jesus. What, what he does is he begins talking about the Roman family. In, in Roman times, the patriarch, the father, was like the head of the family. So there was a father, there was a mother, there was children. And then oftentimes in, in Roman households, there were indentured servants. They were also part of the household. And you can see Paul talks about each one of those in Colossians 3. And in Roman times, basically the way it worked is the patriarch, the father, was, was the center of the family. Everything was centered around him. And you can find like endless writings about this in the culture at the time. Basically, the, the whole family was centered around the father's comfort. Everything was done at his will. So the father made all the decisions for the family and for his children and for everything. And everything basically kind of functioned around him. It was all about the patriarch of the family, the father. And what Paul comes along and he, he says, that'll never work. That'll never work. That, that won't actually build a family. You have to have your family centered around the person of Christ. That's the only way to build a family that's, that has a true identity that's going to last. And I would say today, if we look at our American culture today, we're not centered around the patriarch or the father in our, in our families today in America. Today, what we're centered around in our culture, in our world, in America, is we're centered around our kids. And I mean, that's true whether you have a, a family that's a blended family or a divorced family situation or whether you're a single adult uh, sibling or whatever it is. We, our families are centered around our kids, centered around their happiness, centered around their thriving. Everything we do is, is to make sure they have everything they need and that they get the kind of life they want. That's how our American family, and I, I believe if Paul was speaking to us today, just as he said this in Colossians 3, I think he would say to us too, that'll never work. It'll never work because you have to be centered around the person of Jesus if, if you want your family to continue to move forward. And so he goes through, he begins talking to parents, mothers, uh, fathers, husbands, wives. He talks to, and then finally he gets to children and parents. This is verse 20 of Colossians 3. Take a look at what he says. He says this, children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Amen. Now that sounds great, but, but he, he, here, here's what I know is, is happening in a lot of your minds right now. You're saying, well, that sounds awesome. That sounds great until they start pushing my buttons, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, parents don't aggravate your children. Well, I, I can do that. I can love my child until she rolls her eyes when I tell her to go to her room and clean it up, Right? I can, I can obey my, my parents until my dad brings up that thing that makes me feel worthless. And he's always got to bring it up, exactly. right? And so it's really easy to like talk about this. It's easy to put up on the screen and say, yeah, that's right. We should do that. You know, parents should love their children and children should respect and obey their parents. That's how it should be. But then as soon as you get out there in the parking lot, in the car, everything goes out the window, right? So, so let's just be honest. The real problem with this it's not that we don't know we need to do it. We, we know we need to do this. You don't need me to come in here and tell you, hey, children, you need to obey your parents and respect them. And, and parents, you know, you need to love and you need to, you know, not aggravate your children. You don't need me to tell you that. You already know that. The real problem with this is where do you find the motivation to actually do it? Because when stuff starts to happen, when conflict starts to go, when, when things start to unravel in our families, 
where do we actually get the motivation to actually do this and actually live it out? And that is the genius of what Paul is saying here. If you can understand what he's saying, it, it absolutely will transform everything in your family. Because what Paul is saying here in Colossians 3 is he, before he even gets into the families, we read it there at the beginning of Colossians 3. What he says is you first have to have an experience of grace yourself. You have to have an experience of God fathering you before you can actually turn and live that out for your family. Amen. Until we've actually had an experience of grace ourselves where we've recognized and acknowledged our own brokenness our own inability to fix ourselves. And we've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus that's been made on our behalf and we place our lives in him and we experience God actually becoming our father. Uh, a passage in the New Testament says that we've been adopted as God's, so we're joint heirs with Christ. We're sons and daughters. We're children of God. That's what it, it says about us. Amen. So until we have that experience ourselves, then we can't live this out. We actually can't do what it said that we just read about. We, we can't, you know, love our children the way we're supposed to. We can't, as children, obey our parents and respect them the way we're supposed to until we first have that experience of God fathering us, that experience of grace. So your relationship with Jesus, your identity of who you are in Christ has to be first. Your identity as a parent or your identity as a stepmom or your identity as a child comes second. So, so here's what we're talking about today. Here's what it means to live this out. Go ahead if you could to that next slide. The best gift you can give your family is a relationship with Jesus that's worth imitating. Amen. Best gift you could possibly give your family, no matter what place you are in your family, is a relationship with Jesus that is worth imitating. That's true if you're a father. It's true if you're a mother. If you're a stepmother, stepfather, that's true if you're a single adult sibling and you're thinking about what am I going to do at Thanksgiving when I got to see my family again? The best gift you could possibly give your family at any stage of life that you're in is a relationship with Jesus that is worth imitating. That's what our families need. Amen. That's where healing comes from. So let me, let me explain this. When you have this as a parent, a relationship with Jesus that your identity is based in, it's an experience of grace where God is fathering you. When you have that as a parent, whether or not your child respects you or not cannot touch your true identity. Do you get that? It, whether or not your child succeeds in grades or in sports or in life or in relationships or has grandkids or not or whatever cannot touch your true identity. Whether or not your adult child will even speak to you or not. I was talking with somebody after first service that's going through that right now. It, it, can, it still can't touch your true identity in Jesus. Likewise, if you're a child... If you, whether or not your parents have loved you well or whether or not they haven't, that can't touch your true identity in Jesus. Amen. Whether or not they ever apologize for the abuse or for the neglect or for, for whatever it is that's happened in your family, it cannot touch your true identity in Jesus. 
That's the hope that we have. That's the gospel. That's what it gives us. When we have that, we can live a completely different life out of that. And that's what God can build a legacy on. That's what he can build a family on. Um, I wanted to share with you a, a little bit of something that I've actually never shared this uh, publicly before this morning. And uh, my, my son, Alan, gave me permission to talk about this. But one of the hardest years in my parenting journey, I would actually say it's probably the hardest year of my entire life, was Alan's junior year, just a few years ago. And uh, actually, Brad and Sam were Alan's youth pastor during that year, and were just an incredible support to, to our family and us. And I'm forever grateful to you guys for the role you played in his life and in, and in our life. But basically what happened in, Alan, in Alan's junior year is... Uh, I told you he was the one that was kind of shy and more introverted uh, that I was talking about earlier. So what happened is there was this friend at his school that befriended him and kind of sought him out. And like from a mile away, Carrie and I could see like, this is bad news. This, is, this kid is not going to be a good influence. And very quickly, he kind of pulled Alan into this group of friends um, and, and just began to become a, a serious influence on his life. I think Alan at that time was just kind of needing that attention, you know, whatever it was. And so very quickly he began lying to us, uh, breaking trust with us. Um, he began vaping and drinking and doing drugs. And we became aware of this and you know, we kind of found the evidence of it. And honestly, we just, we felt like we were losing our son. We felt like we were losing our, our kid and just watching him just kind of be pulled away uh, I think the lowest point in that year for me personally was uh, I got a phone call where I, I had to actually come down and, and talk to a detective to, to try to determine whether Alan was going to be included in this legal case, where basically what had happened was um, he, Alan and this group of friends, basically they showed up at this construction site really late at night, and um, they had been drinking and everything. And so they started vandalizing this construction site. They're like pushing over porta potties and, you know, breaking stuff and tearing stuff up. Well, the problem was there were security cameras at this construction site. And so they were caught on, on video doing this. And so I actually had to go down and sit down with the detective and just kind of talk through and just try to figure out what to do. It was terrible. It was absolutely miserable. And I remember the relationship with Alan at that time. I remember I kept trying to approach him. I kept trying to say things like, like, you just talk to me. Like, what are you doing this for? You know, what, what about this group of friends is so appealing to you? Why are you doing this? And he would just, his response, he just kept pulling farther and farther back from me. Uh, he would just say, I don't want to talk about it with you. I don't want to talk about this with you. And so the more he would pull back away from me, the bigger and the louder and the angrier I would get. Because that really encourages someone to open up, Right? And I would just get more and more angry and more and more loud and big. And, and he would pull back further and further. And our, it was the most horrible time for me because I just was watching. I was losing my son. I was watching this, my relationship with him just deteriorate. And so uh, what was happening for me, I, I couldn't see it at the time. But there was a story I was making up in my head. I was sort of unaware of it. But I probably had been making this story up in my head there the entire time my kids have been growing up. It basically, the story went something like this that I was making up in my head. What he's doing right now, his mistakes must be a reflection of me. These decisions he's making, that must be something I did. There must be some, I must have gone wrong somewhere. 
I'm a pastor after all. Like, what are, what are people going to think when they find out he's doing this stuff? What are they going to think about me? What are they going to think about, you know, the job I've done as a parent if they find out the kind of stuff he's doing? That's the stuff that I was thinking in my head. And what was really happening was Alan was just hurting. And he had just significant pain in his life and he needed God to meet that pain. And I had significant pain in my life that I needed God to meet, you know, meet me. In. And so the, the best thing that could possibly happen is that pain actually drove me back to my heavenly father. It drove me back to God. And I'm telling you the best gift I could have possibly given my family during that period of time was to run to God, was to run to Jesus. And that's exactly what I did. I remember, um, it became kind of the turning point in the whole thing with Alan. It was a, literally a morning where I was just, cr- I was literally just weeping and crying out to God in prayer because I'm losing my kid. And I just, I just remember running to God and just saying, I don't know what to do. You got to help me. You got to, you got to act here. You got to move in this situation. And I, it was in that moment, that time of prayer, I heard God speak to me. It wasn't like an audible voice or anything, but like just in my spirit. And what I, what I heard, the way I heard it <laughs> The way I heard God speak to me in that moment is I heard him say, Brian, stop treating him like his mistakes are a reflection of you and start reflecting me, the father, to him. That was what I heard. Stop treating him like his mistakes, his errors are somehow a reflection of you and on you and start stepping toward him and and reflecting me, his heavenly father, to him. And so that, what I did literally that day, that, that out of that time in prayer, I canceled the rest of my meetings for that day. And Alan was home. He was suspended from school. It was one of the times he was suspended from school. And so I went and I got Chick-fil-A. Um, I got his favorite stuff because, I mean, chicken, you know, Christian chicken, you know, it can solve anything, right? And so um, I, I got his favorite food from Chick-fil-A and I drove home on my lunch break. I'd cleared the rest of my day and I just, I just went home to hang out with him. I op- I'll never forget, I opened the door. I had... Chick-fil-A, and he's just sitting there. He had taken his phone away from him and everything. He's just like sitting there at the kitchen counter. And I remember he just goes, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I got uh, lunch for, for us. I thought maybe we could just uh, sit and have lunch together. He, I remember he just goes, why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? I, and I just said, because I love being with you. You're my, you're my kid. And I love being with you. And, and whatever you do, in fact, we didn't talk about what he had done. We didn't talk about his plan going forward. We didn't talk about any of that. I just said, whatever you do or you don't do, I ain't going anywhere. And it, for, for us, it was the beginning of a turning point. I'm not saying everything got fixed in that moment because it didn't. But it was the first time that I saw any kind of like softening from him, any kind of like posture change from him. And it was the first moment. And we just sat there and I'll I'll never forget just sitting there at the table, just eating Chick-fil-A with my son. And that began a process of a change in the tone of our relationship. And eventually it led to this, this time where Alan did step back away from this friend. He did want decide for himself that he wanted something different. And God has done an incredible work in his life. Again, it didn't happen quickly or overnight, uh, a, f- a few weeks ago, Alan um, got engaged, 
And uh, he asked, and we are so thrilled. Um, he and Danielle, godly girl um, that God brought into his life, he actually met her at youth group and uh, at Frontline. And uh, Carrie and I could not be more thrilled with her and with the future that God has for them. And um, when I asked Alan if I could tell this story, he said, yeah, absolutely. That stuff it doesn't even make me ashamed anymore. It's all in my past. It's part of, it's part of my testimony. Amen. And the reason I tell you that is maybe some of you... Uh, Maybe some of you have a prodigal kid right now. Maybe some of you are watching online even are dealing with that and you're trying to figure out where to go. And what I want you to hear is that Alan has actually made me a better follower of Jesus through that experience. The pain that we went through, God, when we turned it over to God, when, when I began to seek Jesus, it actually formed and shaped me. God used that to raise me and to make me a, a better follower of Jesus. And God used that pain and that brokenness in our story and in our lives to make him a, a better follower of Jesus as well. Amen. When we come to him, when we find our true identity in him, whatever happens in our families, that true identity cannot be taken. And it's only out of that true identity that God be can begin to work in our families and can begin to bring healing. So here's what I want to do. Um, Trent, can you come on up? Trent and Sam. And, um, we were talking about how to end this kind of intro sermon uh, of this parenting series. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but like we actually put these, these sermons together in community. Brad and, and myself and a couple other pastors from a couple other churches. And um, we wanted to end maybe just with asking a few questions. And so... Um, Maybe if you're a parent in the room or you're watching online, you might want to write these questions down. Uh, maybe discuss them later. Spend some time talking about them later. Um, but uh, the, the first question, just kind of reflect on, just let God just uh, speak to your heart on this. The, the first question is, who sets the spiritual temperature in your home? Right now, who, who is setting the spiritual temperature in your home? Is it you? Is it your kids? Um, is it sports? Is that, what's, is that what is setting the spiritual temperature of your home? Is it the internet? Uh, but what, what right now, again, there's no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. I'm just honesty, just speaking in honesty. What is spiritually or who is setting the spiritual temperature in your home right now? Next one. Uh, what role has Jesus played in your family life up to this point? Again, no condemnation, just, but if you were honest, what role has Jesus actually played in your family life up to this point? Is he a central figure? Is, is your family centered around him? And do your kids know what it means, what Jesus means to you? Do they, can they see you being led by Jesus? Or is Jesus kind of a, a background figure that kind of appears on Sundays and that's about it? And then thirdly, uh, have you modeled what it means to have Jesus in the center of your life? And that's a question whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, whether you're an adult child, whether you're a stepmom or dad, whatever your position in your family, have you modeled what it means to have Jesus in the center of your life? I really believe God wants to, to bring uh, maybe a new family, a new family dynamic, a family that's centered around Christ and bring healing and purpose 
that you, maybe you've never experienced. And if you'll allow him to do it in the next four weeks, it could be a turning point for you. I'm not saying that the next four weeks are gonna, you know, solve everything, but they just might be a turning point that leads somewhere better and somewhere different that generations from now, you're gonna still be talking about. Would you pray with me? So Jesus, we just come to you right now uh, because you are the only one who can redeem us and reconcile us and, and you are the only identity that can't be taken from us that is a foundation that we can build our lives on, that we can build our families on. And so Jesus, we just come to you right now. We just trust you with our lives. We trust you with our kids. God, I pray right now, maybe there's, even after first service, God, I'm just meeting some people. God, maybe there's, there's, um, maybe there's some people trying right now to have kids. And they've made even just having kids sort of an idol. Uh, maybe, God, there's some of us in this room who are, who are trying to blend a family together with all the complications of that and, and all the things that, that come with that. Um, God, maybe for some of us in this room or, or watching online, uh, we have a prodigal and we're trying to figure out, God, I pray that you would just, that you would do a work. I pray that the prodigals would come home as we trust in you, as we look to you. I pray that you would bring families together around you, Jesus. I pray that you would bring healing where there needs to bring, be healing. And I pray that you would be our provision, God, for whatever it is that you want our family to look like, whether that's biological kids or foster kids or adopted kids or, or something completely different, God, we, we just, we trust you. We just understand, God, that you can be a better father to our kids than we could ever be. You can be a better father to us than our, than our earthly fathers ever could have possibly been to us. And so we turn to you right now. And so, Jesus, as we do that, we ask you to help us become spiritual temperature setters in our home. That we, that we would play the role of running after you and, and letting that be known, letting that be seen. God, would you allow it to be true that, that we have a relationship with you that is worth imitating and that that becomes a gift and a blessing to our families. God, would you settle that in our hearts? Would you settle that in our spirits today? If we have to make a commitment, if we have to pledge ourselves to that, that's what we do today, Lord. And we ask you to just work. Have your way, Lord Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We need you in our families. We need you moving in our lives. We cannot do it ourselves. And so that's what we ask. It's in your precious and powerful name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen.